Live from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the Total Education Show, a talk shop for teachers, parents, and administrators. Here's your host of the show, Neil Haley, the Total Tutor. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Total Celebrity Show. You can check me out on Twitter at TotalTutorNeilHaley.com and all exciting places. And uh, this show, oh my, is going to be very, very interesting. So I'm excited to welcome the program Kyle Schmidt of the History Channel 6. Kyle, thanks for calling, and I tell you, man, it's uh, it's going to be an unbelievable show on Wednesday night, the premiere, isn't it? I mean, just thinking about placing yourself in that position uh, out there as a Navy SEAL in combat and seeing what's truly happening is something that really you don't get to see all the time, do you? No, and I think it's important, and I think this show will shed light on a lot of what America doesn't understand that these guys go through and their families go through on a regular basis. And I think it's important that, um, you know, the greater part of America have a better understanding of that because these guys sacrifice so much for the, for, for America, for their friends and families and brothers. Exactly. So Kyle, so basically once you got were told about this project, what was your interest in this? Uh, give any military background yourself. I don't have any military background myself. Um, you know, I've always considered myself an athlete, somebody who could you know, kind, of, kind of do anything. And was I sorely mistaken when they took us in a van and out to a, a SEAL prep course called SEAL Fit out in Encinitas, where it was the first time that the six of us met. And by day four, we had gone through water torture, sleep deprivation, we hadn't stopped working out in 36 hours. Um, we were tested mentally and physically. They found our breaking points, which was their job. And, and, and we, you know, it, it was a journey of self-discovery. And, you know, you really figure out your limitations. And so I got to grow as a, as a man and as a human being. And I think that's one of the most important things I think I've ever done in my life. You were able to respect more what 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 our men in duty do, especially the, the Navy SEALs, right? That, oh my gosh, these are, they're, they're just unbelievable. Yeah. They're so talented. Oh my God. Yeah. And you yeah, know, like we, we just, we just, we just touched, touched the tip of the iceberg with this training. So it gave me a very small glimpse into, into what they do. And I have the, the utmost respect for, for these guys, these, these men and women who sacrifice so much to, to do what they do for everyone else. All right, so we're, again, we're talking to Kyle Schmidt, and, uh, you know, it, it's, you're, you're so right about uh, the, the whole process, Kyle, that um, what people are able to do, um, the, the, the whole process of the hard work and stuff. So what should we expect when we're following these Navy SEALs in this combat? What should we expect? Uh, you say their their physical limitations pushed on a regular basis. I mean, this this is one of the longest wars in history of man, and uh, I don't think America really realizes that. But um, you know, we've been at war for twenty years now, and um, the atrocities that are happening out there that we don't see in our media um, need to be seen by the world so that we can actually understand and support our military and what they're trying to do for so many. Um, but you'll also see these, these men come home and the effects of these atrocities and how they affect the, these men and women psychologically and how difficult it is and how incredible they are to be able to compartmentalize those things 
and go home and and drive your daughter to school or mow your lawn or drive your mother to chemo and say, okay, that was one yeah. part of me. Now I've got to turn, or now I've got to wear this hat. And how it affects not only them, but their family as well. I mean, these sacrifices come on both sides of the coin, you know, wife, mother, and also the the soldier, these seals. It's so true, Kyle. Um, all those all those areas that you're talking about, um, the, 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 the what they have to do and how they have to turn it on and turn it off, especially if they're coming home for a little break, or in the fact that finally they're going to that they're that they're finished. That this is the time that they're going to move on in their lives and and be be a civilian. How right. through these challenging things that they're expected to do, from having to sometimes uh, kill people because they're terrorists to uh, making the wrong of their lives. These are the things you have to think mm-hmm. about. Yeah, and how, absolutely. And how, and how all of this group of six people get along together too, right? Because they have different aspects of their lives. They have different. Um, they, they have different backgrounds, right? They're not all the same uh, type of thinking people, right? No, they're not. And my character, Alice Calder, plays. You know, he's kind of this free-thinking warrior philosopher who is detached from his nuclear family so that he's able to make his decisions on the road at the drop of a hat. Uh, you know, he's the first person to, to, a pot, to pie a corner. He's, um, he's the first person to stick his head out, um, right. whether there's bullets flying his way or not, in hopes of protecting his family. And he made that decision to, to detach himself from his nuclear family so that he could take on the responsibility of his brothers. And, and you watch his estranged daughter decide to come back into his life and pretty much tear it upside down because it gives him something to live for besides his team. It gives him something to think about while he's out there and think to see what that does to his head. And whether or not he's ready for it, I mean, it's it's such a beautifully written show, and everybody's arcs are unique and beautiful, and also heart wrenching. And I think it's going to give any viewer, any viewer will have something that they can relate to when it comes to watching this show. It definitely seems like it, and and like you said, that this is again uh, based on real missions that have happened in Afghanistan, and what happened, and the, the challenges of going after the Taliban at that time period, especially what 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 time period was that? That was right out right after nine uh, eleven stuff. Am I correct? If you're looking, it would have been after, yeah. yeah, it would have been after nine eleven, and let's let's not forget these are inspired by by missions, so. It, with respect to the rules of engagement and classified information, you know, we are doing our best with creating this show to remember and respect anybody who's still serving to ensure that we are not giving anything away to give our enemies any advantage. The things that you are watching and everything you are watching are as close as they can be to real with still respecting and limiting what we show because pe- people are going to be watching this show looking for clues as to how to, you know, what, what did oh, they forget right. to pull yeah. out? You know what I mean? What, what kind of scope is that? Why don't we have that kind of scope? But, but we've limited a lot of that 
to protect anybody that's still serving in the military or has any issues with us actually making it. So, you know, we found a very, very good balance and created an amazing show that everybody's going to enjoy. Um, and at the same time, ho- hopefully gain the support of the military. And we recently got um, supported by Got Your Six, which is an incredible foundation that is um is out there to protect veterans and people that still serve in the military in hopes of shedding more light on them and retiring and hopefully creating some 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 friction with the government in hopes that you know we can get them better health care or prescriptions if they need it and just have them better taken care of by a country that they've given so much of themselves to. All right, Kyle, the best place we can find information on you as well, I'm wanting to tune in Wednesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern on the History Channel, uh, 6, and where can we find info on you? Um, I will be live tweeting the premiere tomorrow night. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at I am Kyle Schmidt or on Instagram at I am Kyle Schmidt. All right, well, Kyle, it sounds like a fascinating uh, show. I think it's going to do really well because you think about how many people really want to know how this is done how challenging this is and really the challenge of chasing people that can hide anywhere <laughs> in that and especially <laughs> in afghanistan with all the different things and and what you deal with and how they deal with every day so after a tough mission how do they handle the next day and all those things so look forward to watching the show and thanks again for calling Kyle. thank you thank you okay see ya okay bye-bye here was the total celebrity show we'll be back in just a moment Hi, everyone, and welcome to Total Celebrity Show. You can check me out on Twitter at TotalTutorNeilHaley.com and all those exciting places. I'm excited to welcome the program Grammy Award winner, Jermaine Dupree of Lifetime's The Rap Game Arena. Jermaine, thanks for calling. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Jermaine. One question to ask right off the bat before we get into the show is the fact, how did you? how are you able to discover such amazing talent in your entire career, how are you able to do that? Um, I mean, you know, it, it's a lot of talented people out there, and it's just really just like if you look into it and 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 you're interested. You know, I'm I'm constantly interested in in new talent and people that that I feel have something to offer to this industry. So um, I, I listen. You know, you, you you have to take a listen to people and and put put your efforts. You know, put a little put a little effort into it, and, and and you can find you can find talent. It's out there. And do they have to be open to your suggestions, Jermaine, with your ex, your expertise and stuff, and who you've worked with in your career to really be successful? Because I'm sure that you've had a lot of successful artists, but also others that just didn't hit it because they weren't willing to 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 uh, really listen to your advice. Not really. I mean, I, a lot of I, only only time I've had artists that not that that don't really work is that when they are not as successful as I think they are. You know, sometimes I feel like certain people are more successful, or, or not more successful, more talented, more talented than they actually are, and that's when it doesn't actually work because I actually feel like the person should be doing this and doing that, and they don't actually even have that in them. Right. So uh, a couple of that's only happened probably. 
<laughs> you picked the right people then, Jermaine. That's awesome. That's good. That's a good thing that you picked the right people. So tell me about why you uh, teamed up with Queen Latifah for the Rap Game Arena. Again, this is going to be season three. Tell us that story. Um, you said what next? You yeah, about yeah, how? yeah. How how it happened? How this project and everything? Well, me, I mean, me and Latifah, we have a you know a great standing relationship for like years, and it just you know um, the idea of this show came about, and then it was just like um, two two forces to work together. I mean, you know, I think people when you hear Jermaine Dupri and Queen Latifah doing something, you pay attention to it. That's the first and foremost exactly. thing that yeah. that you want to you know you want you want to make that happen, and then you know you have to get a project to, to go along with the name, so. We just put together something that that um, that I was already basically doing, you know what I mean. But but at the same time, it was something to go in a space that's not that that no one else is doing basically. In the last game, uh, what we do and how we educate and how we give people the culture is not being seen on TV anywhere. Right, and that's. Right. The, and exactly, exactly. And so, getting that platform and that opportunity—that so, how is that different than other shows involving working with talent? How do you, what differentiate your differentiate differentiates your show? Well, I mean, it's a hip hop show. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I said, it's not. Um, you know, kids, kids of today. Basically, the show demo, the mindset demo is from twelve to sixteen, uh, but. The demo for this show is wider because parents are watching this with their kids, and um, kids are more interested in hip hop than any genre. Period. And this has always right. been. This is nothing new. This is all we all know this. So to have, first of all, kids are not as interested in like American Idol and the Voice as they are into hip hop. Um, the the show those shows are. Uh, a little bit bigger than a rap game because they're on more mainstream TV. Like Lifetime still is a cable show. So um, if, if the rap game was on, you know, one of those other networks, it'd probably be bigger than all of those shows because, like I said, kids are more into, they're, they're just more interested in the hip-hop culture and the culture of hip-hop dressing and sneakers and everything and all of that stuff that goes into this show. So that's why that's what differentiates the show from everything else that's out. And you see that there's a variety of people. The kids are into it, but also the parents are into this show. And they like to see this development because they were a fan of who you've developed in your career and Queen Latifah. And then you throw in the next generation. So families are watching the show. That's another special part of it, right? Yeah, 100%. Yes, yes, totally. Absolutely. So what should we expect this season? Again, Friday, January 13th at 10 p.m. Eastern uh, is the premiere. What should we expect this year? Uh, you should expect just a, a higher talent level. You should expect more competitiveness. Uh, really, really putting, I think this season sets the bar for the kids coming. And any, any kid that wants to be in the industry, these kids definitely set the bar for that. And, and teaching kids just like I said, the competitiveness and knowing your knowing your craft and being on top of your craft, knowing hip hop education, um, knowing um, just vital information. Period that you should know. Being a human being and growing up wanting to be uh, an entertainer, 
that's what this show definitely brings you. So the education level is higher. Uh, we have more, actually, more episodes this season. Um, and more, more of my celebrity friends, you know what I mean? A lot, of, a lot more of my celebrity friends giving up a lot of information that you don't get anywhere else in the, uh, around the world. And you, you and Queen Latifah are really excited about the success of, and the ratings of the show as well, right? You guys are going to be pleased that it's it's oh, took yeah. off so well. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, like when, when, when I heard, when I got the uh, call that we was doing three, um, I was so excited because, like I said, I'm, I'm you know, I, I, I make music. I come from making music and creating my own label. Then to have a TV show to go from season one to, you know, to be going to season three. And we also, I'm starting to shoot four in like the next three to four days. So oh, wow. to be doing season three, season four of a TV show, um, I never saw this forecast in my career. But it's definitely, um, it's God's way of showing me that, you know, it's so much more out there that he, he has for me to do. And he believes that I can do it and I can. And, and that's what that's what's happening. Now, Jermaine, what 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 is your uh, ultimate hope for rap in general, especially you being part of certain generations of rap? Where do you hope it, rap and hip hop go in the next ten to twenty years? What would you like to see it? Where would you like to see it go? I just hope I, I hope I, I hope it just I just hope it goes back to the separation of artists being where where artists each artist have their own individually individual style, you know. The, the, one of the biggest arguments in hip-hop, in today's hip-hop, even today, is that was Biggie better than Tupac? Right. Well, what people really need to pay attention to, was if, if not if he's better or not, or if, if, or, or who's better, the, the difference in sound. Yes. Tupac's record sounded like Tupac's record, and Biggie record sounded like Biggie record. And neither one of the records ever sounded alike. Exactly. You never had a time where anyone could say, Oh, is that Biggie or is that Tupac? You always knew when you was listening to either one of them, and that's what I feel like needs to happen now. These kids are making records that sound exactly alike, and they're not separating, so they're not giving themselves an opportunity to be iconic and great like the two that people mostly argue about in today's society. I, I completely agree. We what's, what's honor the artists for what they are? Geniuses, not who's better. Yeah, I mean, you know, even like Jay Z, Jay Z's music doesn't sound anything like any of the rest of these kids that's out, and that's why it's a separation. That's why people know who Jay Z is, and people listen to Jay Z differently than they listen to the rest of his music. I think if any of these kids want to be iconic and want to be great, like Nas or this, that, and the third, then they have to, they have to, they have to make their own lane and break open away from what, what what they've been doing, trying to sound like everybody else and make, make music that sounds like them. So when people talk about them, it sounds, they, they know exactly what they're talking about. Exactly, Jermaine. So everyone needs to uh, tune in Friday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, to the rap game yeah. uh, with Jermaine Tabri, yeah. Queen Latifah, all those things. Where can we follow you on Twitter and stuff so people can check you out? Where's the best place we can go? Oh, Jermaine, hit me up. Jermaine Dupree, everything. Twitter, Instagram. Um, you know, Facebook, um, on Snapchat is Jay Warhol, but everything else is Jermaine Dupree. You know, hit me up on everything. Let me know tomorrow night. Let me know how y'all feel about the show. Let's talk about it. Let's get it becoming the number one trending topic.
You're a genius for sure, Jermaine, and it's what you've been able to develop, and it's great that you're taking the next generation the same place, the people you've worked with and everything. So thanks for calling, and best of luck. All right, thank you for having me. All right, take care, man. Okay, bye-bye. You're listening to the Total Celebrity Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Total Celebrity Show, the Just Two Choices Celebrity segment. You can check me out on Twitter, at TotalTutor, and NeilHaley.com, and I'm excited to welcome the program first, my co-host, Rika Rakoski. Rico, how are you? A high-vibe guest we have on today for sure. Oh, absolutely. Hey, Neil, happy to hear you, and yeah, I'm thrilled to have with us today the standout defensive back for the Panthers, first-round draft pick into the NFL for the Green Bay Packers as a standout quarterback, uh, quarterback, and he still holds the Packers team record for his 99-yard interception return for a TD against the L.A. Rams. So and he's also a renowned defensive coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers in the past, and the list goes on and on. So please welcome uh, former NFL coach and NFL player Tim Lewis. Tim, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, hey, congratulations on all your successes. I mean, your background is absolutely phenomenal, you know, as a player and a coach. And, and you know, Neil, Tim grew up on the other side of the state there in Quakertown. So, okay. you know, before we start off, I'm not sure if he was, uh, uh, if you could tell us, Tim, in your early years before he got recruited by Pitt, were you uh, at home? Who were your mentors at home? And, uh, you know, were the Eagles part of your mentoring or into football? <laughs> well, I, uh, no. I, you know, I grew up in about, uh, let's say, about 40 miles north of Philadelphia, about 17 yeah. miles south of Allentown, and uh, yeah. didn't know much about anything. Didn't really travel into the city. You know, my family were, were, out, were yeah. from out in the country, out in the sticks, out in the woods, really, and uh, didn't really yeah. travel too much into the, to the city to see Philadelphia. Uh, my dad was from Allentown area, so we went up that way more than anything. Yeah. Uh, I followed yeah. the Eagles. Of course, I loved I loved watching Wilbur Montgomery and loved watching Ron Jaworski and loved watching, you know, Coach Emil yeah. do his thing. And uh, I grew up in uh, <laughs> the southeastern Bucks County area and watched, watching Harold Carmichael and, you know, Bill Bradley. And I mean, those were, those were, those were the guys that I loved. Oh, wow. Yeah. But truth, truth be told, when I got uh, into, into junior high and then into high school, really started loving the yeah. Steelers. And uh, of course, that's, that's when they were doing their thing with regards to uh, Franco Harris and Rocky Blyer and Terry Bradshaw and Swan yeah. and blah, blah, blah. You know, so I yeah. chose Pitt to go to school there, to, to go to school at Pitt and to be a part of, you know, that city. So, and- yeah. So that's interesting, Tim, when you talk about, you know, uh, the thought of Pittsburgh and the Steelers and, and different things like that and becoming a fan of those. Were you recruited by Penn State as well as Pitt? For, uh, for for a brief second, I, uh, a guy named Anderson <laughs> uh, came in to visit, and uh, I remember distinctly yeah. uh, the uh, our head coach came and got me out of class. Said, "Hey, uh, Coach Anderson from Penn State would like to visit with you." We went into a uh, like a, a study Carol type of a room. He said, "Hey, I'll, I'll, I'm going to slip away for a minute. I'm going to meet with your guidance counselor, grab your transcript, and then I'll I'll come back and visit with you." Uh, the coach is going to grab some videotape or not videotape back in the day. It was a film like the eight millimeter, 15 millimeter film. And, uh, he said, coach, we'll grab a projector and we'll watch some film together. We'll watch, uh, we'll look at your transcript and have a conversation, try to figure out a date that you can come in and visit on the official visit. Well, when he got back with the transcript, he said, <laughs> I don't think there's any reason to watch the tape. I don't think I can get you into school. So <laughs> that, was, wow. That, was, wow. that was my one and done shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, then 
what other schools were there. What other schools were recruiting us? Seriously. I got crazy. Every trip that I made, every official visit that I went on, yeah. and, you know, I was such a giddy, silly, you know, 17-year-old. I had no idea what was going on. I didn't even know what a scholarship meant and didn't really pay much attention to it. You know, I just I just knew how to run fast and jump high and, and tackle hard. So every trip yeah. I went on, I committed to that school. So I went to Virginia Tech. Darren Miller and I uh, went to Virginia wow. Tech, and I was a Hokie for a couple of hours. Okay. <laughs> then I went to Virginia, uh, West Virginia. John, John Jack Henry uh, recruited me there, and uh, Coach Signetti was the head coach. Well, I was I was a Mountaineer for a little while, and then uh, I remember let's see, uh, Coach Coughlin uh, was at Syracuse. Tom Coughlin, who oh, I was wow. working okay. for years later, uh, yeah. Coach Coughlin recruited me at uh, Syracuse, and uh, well, of course, uh, I was an Orangeman. You know, I, I got a chance to meet Joe Morris and Art Monk, and of course, on that wow. visit, I, I committed there too. And then when I visited Pitt, <laughs> that uh, you know, Coach Joe Moore recruited me, and uh, I visited Pitt, and that was it. You know, I was. That was it for me. I, I saw the campus, and I, I I said to Coach Cheryl, he said, Coach Cheryl, I remember, because I, I still keep in touch with Coach Cheryl. He said, well, from what I understand, Coach Moore tells me uh, you committed to every school on on your your unofficial, <laughs> official visits. Are you going to commit to us, yeah. too? And I said, yes, yes, I will. And uh, he said, are you going to stick with it? Are you going to take any more trips after this? <laughs> no, this is the last trip. He said, well, thank God we scheduled our visit on the right time. So I ended up uh, signing the state. But what's crazy is during the summer, I played in the uh, Bucks County All-Star Game, and I got a chance to meet a coach named Dick Edison from uh, Villanova. And Villanova was not on the national letter at the time. And I was involved in this, uh, you know, high school romance, and I decided that uh, six hours was too far away for me, and 45 minutes to an hour down to Villanova's campus was much closer and much easier to keep this relationship going. Oh so I decided to... Be commit to Pitt oh, and end up going to Villanova. Well, <laughs> about an hour after I called uh, Coach Moore and told him I was going to go to Villanova, I changed my mind. Coach Cheryl uh, called me and said that that, that won't happen. That's not going to happen. So then Coach Bettison called me back about an hour after that and said, yeah, I think it's a good idea that you go to Pitt. Villanova ended up dropping their program. Oh my! Well, well, that's that's kind of that's that's kind of funny too because as you talk about it, um, we'll get into this later, and because Neil's going to have the, the, the question for you, but it's just interesting about the network that's going on behind the scenes. I, oh, yeah. I think it with regard to what happened there, and also when I look at your background, you know, with all these defensive coordinator positions you work for, and for coaches who happen to have been defensive players too. So Neil has a Neil has a question, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So Tim, let's jump into you know when you talk about going to the University of Pittsburgh. Did you think that you guys were going to be as successful as you were once you committed there? Did you think that Pitt was going to be as awesome as they were? And you know the program was there a couple of years before, but now with Jackie Sherrill, not Johnny Majors, were you thinking national championship when you signed with them? Oh God, no! Oh God, no! So when I went to school, I felt I'm a country bumpkin out of southeastern PA. Going to Pittsburgh was the furthest I'd ever been away from home. So. Oh, wow. I, I mean, I grew up in a trailer, literally a trailer outside of, you know, uh, Allentown, PA, and I had no earthly clue anything about national championships or anything like that. I had no idea what I got myself into. 
you know, my my whole goal was just to make sure that I didn't have to work at the brickyard that my dad worked at wow. for 40 years. You know, so he, tra- he traveled two and a half hours to get over to, uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the town in New Jersey, but there was a brickyard over there, and he was a forklift operator. And my whole goal was to try to try to graduate high school and, you know, move on to college. And I was thinking, okay, my brother and my cousin, my cousin Rob Riddick, who played with the Buffalo Bills for 10 years, and my brother, Will Lewis, is now the Kansas City Chiefs director of uh, pro personnel. Uh, wow! They both went to they both went to Millersville, and I was thinking, okay, Millersville, Bloomsburg, yeah. Strasburg, yeah. something like that. And then all of a sudden, yeah. you know, I start I got a call from Joe Moore, and I started I getting getting calls from all these big schools. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? So then I get I'll tell you where I where I realized that I had gotten into something really big. I played in the Pennsylvania the Big Thirty Three game. And that was Eastern PA versus Western PA, right? Right. And right. we got a chance to, and so we got a chance to match up. Coach Sherrill came to the game and was just kind of watching and everything. And people were telling me, you know, I'm on the East team, obviously. And there was this guy named Dan Marino that was a quarterback <laughs> at the West team. And everybody kept saying, "Oh, this kid's going to Pitt. This kid's going to Pitt." So one night, uh, we we stayed with host families there in the Altoona area. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah. They got all of the kids that had committed to Pitt from Eastern PA and Western PA. You know, Rich Cranack and I, uh, Dave Tappenroth. Uh, there, there were a number of us from Eastern PA, uh, and then they got the kids from Western PA, and they had like a little dinner, and uh, it was really cool. It was a lot of fun, and so I'm standing next to this big old tall curly haired kid, and I'm thinking, wow. This son of a gun is big. What does he play again? They're like, oh, he's a quarterback. He's like one of the best quarterbacks. And he also got drafted by the Dodgers or something like that in the first round. And I'm thinking, what have I gotten myself into? I was like the smallest guy in the room, you know, wow. six feet, 185 pounds. And I'm looking at, okay, there was uh, Ron Sands. They called him Moose. There was, uh, his nickname was Moose. So there's Dan Marino. He's like 6'4". There was a quarterback named Rick Dukovich from I know I know him now Bethel Park. There was a quarterback named Pat McQuaid from uh, 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 Indiana, uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, they're and they're they're all like six three, six four. You know, they're uh, I'm just a little skinny, scrawny receiver, running back, defensive back, and I'm thinking, yeah. what have I gotten myself into? So then we get to practice uh, one day. We we practiced against the. The, uh, the other team, like a kind of a jog through practice. And I saw the kids throw the ball and I was like, Oh, okay. Wow. That's pretty impressive. He just threw the ball, like on his knees, just goofing around across the football field. I'm thinking, Oh my God, I have no idea what I'm, this is going to be awful. So anyway, I show yeah. up on the first, first day of training camp, uh, out of pit, you know, and my mom had, you know, gotten together all the stuff that we needed and we put everything in a bin. And I go up to my dorm room and, I walk in and I'm roommates with a guy from Natchez, Mississippi, named Michael Dog Woods. Oh, wow. And I'm thinking, wow, boy, that kid look. He, man, he looks mean. So I just walk into the room. I'm like, hey, how you doing? And he's like, I don't want you to stay in this room. I'm like, oh God, now what do I do? Okay, so I have to go talk to the coach and tell him that the guy that they got me roommates with doesn't want me in the room. So now I'm scared half to death, and you know, I'm six and a half hours away from home, and. My mom's car already turned around and started heading back out the turnpike, and I'm thinking, "Oh God, this is real." So then we go to the first day of practice, and I used to win all the wind sprints there at Penridge High School. Now I was about fourth or fifth, and I'm thinking, "Oh man, I can't even outrun these guys." 
So I was on the school, I was on the practice squad or whatever, you know, the the scout squad back in the day. And big guys like Hugh Green and Ricky Jackson, and uh, uh, I mean, they were much bigger than me. And right. I thought, well, okay, put me out there on a toss play and let me run outside, and I'll run everybody and just run down the sideline and go score like I used to do. Well, <laughs> the 270-pound guys were catching me, and I'm thinking, yeah. oh, God, I'm going to get killed. <laughs> so I was ready to transfer yeah. after about a week. Wow. But yeah, I realized, I realized after watching these guys play, after watching them practice, the tempo that they went at, and uh, right, right, uh, I, was right. not, I was not even close. But I, I did realize uh, after that first year, no, my second year, uh, and I, I didn't even touch the field other than uh, special teams. But I did make all the travel teams. That was, that was kind of cool, the freshman. Uh, but uh, I realized when we had five, I believe it was five guys go in the first round in the 1980 draft, that, that pick was really, really a special place. And Dan Marino, of course, he was way different. He ended up starting. We, we played Kansas at home our freshman year, and we had a really good quarterback, from what I understand, a kid named Rick Trocano. Yeah, Trocano, uh, yeah. And up until that point, and then I saw Danny go in. The very first play of his career, he threw an interception, and he kind of shrugged his shoulders and smiled. And Coach Sherrill just tapped him on the back when he walked off, and then he went on to set all kinds of records. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you're talking about all these, all these things, Tim, and um, one thing that, you know, we talk about the choices in life and stuff, and as I'm listening to it, I mean, it's an exciting story. You know, what is the just two choices? You, know, you had two choices there. What is it that flipped the switch? I mean, obviously, there's something that said, man, I've got to up my game. I mean, because yeah. you to go from playing, from playing for Pitt to be the first-round draft pick yeah. for Green Bay Packers, you up your game, like you're saying, you're being caught by 270 pound guys. So you, you up your game. What was that? Just your choices moment. Do you remember that when you said? Well, I, I remember. It. I remember it like it was yesterday, and it was that guy that we're talking about, yeah. the curly hair, blue eyed guy, uh, that was. We're sitting in the locker room one day, my between yeah. my sophomore and junior year, and we're sitting in the locker room, um, uh, just getting ready for practice one day. And Marino, whose locker was right like two door two away from mine, looks at me and goes, "Yeah, you know what? You've got more ability than anybody, any defensive back in this locker room. Every day I throw against you on one on one, you're the only guy I can't complete anything on. You're the only guy that can cover <laughs> Julius Dawkins. You're the only guy that can cover Willie Collier. You're the only guy that can cover Larry Sims. You're the only guy that ever covers Barry Compton, the kid from Central Buffalo." <laughs> he says, "What what what is going on with you? That you why are you not playing?" And I said, I don't know, to be honest with you. He said, you need to go see, you know, your, your DB coach and Coach Fazio, your defensive coordinator, and find out what, what's going on. Because I'm sitting here looking at you. you. Now I was about 205. I was six foot 205. I, I bench-pressed 225, 25 times. I, I could run really fast. So I could jump out the building. Yeah. I was 37-inch <laughs> vertical jumper and all that. Right. And he, he's like, now you're sitting here on the floor doing splits. You've got flexibility, change right. of direction, strength, <laughs> size. You're smart. He said, wow. I don't understand why you're not playing. He said, you need to go see Coach Fazio. So it was Dan Marino that, that said, you know what? You've got too much wow. ability to be a backup player. So I go in. I talk to Foge. Foge told me I wasn't tough enough. You know, I wasn't. Oh, I wasn't. Yes. I missed too many tackles. Wow. I didn't play the ball very well in the air. I caught the ball well, but I didn't see the ball very well in the air. So what I did was over the – my sophomore, junior year, uh, we had some guys graduate. Of course, that, that really good 1980 class had like 17 guys go into the NFL. Unfortunately yeah. for me, Carlton Williamson, defensive back, Lynn Thomas, 
defensive back Terry White, defensive back JoJo Heath. All these guys were going into the NFL, so the the the, the cupboard was wide open. You know, the, it was bare. And so they, they said, "Okay, Tim, it's your chance." And so when I when they when they wow. gave him chance, and because there was nobody else there, uh, I held on to it and uh, I grabbed it. And yeah. I seized Congratulations. it. Congratulations. Uh, you know, it was it, the rest was history. And, you know, Marino, Marino was the one that made me think. You know what? Maybe, I, maybe I am good enough because I think for for two years I kind of yeah. doubted the decision to actually go to Pitt. You know, and I thought, well, I better I better get this degree and really work my ass off in school because it <laughs> it doesn't look like football's going to be. <laughs> so <laughs> even going up, wow! I remember being told my senior year. Uh, you're going to be like a mid round, late round pick. And then I didn't even get invited to the Senior Bowl or East West Shrine, but as a uh, as an alternate, I got invited uh, right at the like. Okay, so the game was on Saturday. I flew into Palo into San Francisco and got to uh, practice on a Wednesday. And the coach looked at me, uh, the the head coach of my team for the the East West Shrine game, said, "What position do you play? You look like more like a safety." So I'm pretty big and uh i said no i play corner he said well we're gonna put you at safety have you ever returned kicks or punts i said well i returned kicks he said well you're gonna do both in this game so i ended up <laughs> i ended up being the uh the the, the east team uh, mvp of the game and then they said wow. you know after that game hey uh tim we need a replacement for a guy named daryl sanji a guy played at uh, oklahoma i got hurt down at the senior bowl in mobile would you be willing to fly over to mobile and play in the senior bowl and I was like, yeah, sure. So I got on a plane right from San Francisco after the game and flew into Mobile, Alabama. And I ended up being the, the, the South team uh, player of the game. I had two interceptions. And, and so that, that's how I went from being uh, Congratulations. Wow. low round pick, middle round pick to a first round pick, really the, 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 at the end of the year. And then, and then of course, I did the, uh, there were like three combines at the time. There weren't, there weren't just this one. But there was one in uh, Tampa, one in Detroit, and one in Seattle. And then the New York Jets had their own. And uh, I went to all those combines, and I just skyrocketed from uh, there. Wow. So, you you know, and I listen to all this. What do you think your greatest moment as a Panther was? What, what, what? My my greatest moment as a Panther? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, goodness gracious. That's a good question. Oh man, probably a sugar bowl when I saw Danny throw that ball down the middle yeah. of the field and we we beat Georgia, you know, at the end of the game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was that was pretty exciting. I don't know that I'm uh, in fact I, I'm here I live here in Georgia now. I live in Atlanta and uh coached with the Falcons for five years. And uh yeah. Buck Palou is one of the uh Buck Palou is one of the radio announcers here that does uh Falcons Sports Network and all that stuff. And he was the quarterback in that game, so uh, Steve, uh, let's see, what's his name? Uh, well, the bottom line is there's probably not a day that goes by that I don't have somebody say, "Do you play in that 1982 Sugar Bowl?" You know, <laughs> Georgia, Georgia fans don't don't forget where he's like. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, well. As, as we as we shift as we shift gears into the pros, then you know, played the Sugar Bowl, and then you know, you went to you went to Green Bay. And you know you you stand out there as a quarterback, and then you you got hurt, and then you shifted into 
you know, in, into coaching. Um, since we've got about 10 minutes left in the show here, I just wanted to kind of get a feel for um, just a couple of words, some personalities. I mean, just the excitement of who you work for. I mean, you've been a defensive back coach, defensive coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they played, we worked for the Giants, the Panthers, the Seahawks, and the Falcons. So I'm going to mention the coach's name and uh, head coach's name, and I'm going to ask that you just kind of give me couple of words about what their approach to life was or what their philosophy was that you, know, you needed to summarize. And so, Bill Cowher, what would you say with Bill Cowher? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, Coach, probably the best, fierce, uh, detailed, uh, wow. smart, yeah. uh, really good with the players. Okay, okay, how about, and not just because he was a linebacker and a defensive guy, but how about Tom Coughlin then? What comes up? Detail oriented, uh, disciplinarian, uh, stickler yeah. to detail, just uh, uh, but fair, really smart, uh-huh. uh, a great people person. Uh, okay, uh, John Fox. Uh, affable, you know, very uh, funny, uh, good old boy, uh, yeah. down to earth. Low key, but very high football IQ. Uh, wow! Really, really. Jim Mora. Yeah. Oh yeah, Jim. Jim Mora was very intense. Uh, Jim was Jim was like my age, so he's like a, a uh, really friendly to the players. Uh, yeah. Excitable can get ex- could, could get excited yeah. over anything, you know. Uh, uh, very fierce, though. Very, very tenacious. Uh, a bulldog. Okay, and where you're, where you're at now, the Falcons. We won't go to the Forty ers right now, but I mean, Mike Smith. What was your, um, what's your feeling with, uh, what a couple of key words for him? Oh, I love Smitty. Phil uh, Smith was <laughs> very, very friendly. I love him. He, you know, uh, yeah. I'd, I'd work with him and for him any day. Uh, wow, okay. down to earth, really smart. Mm-hmm. Detail oriented, uh, a grinder. Yeah, uh, yeah. Get after it, guy. Yeah, okay. These are great. Those are great questions, wow, Rico. I, I tell you, those are ones that everyone can think about, and, and such a great point of what makes you such a great college football player and NFL, and then coaching. Now, the question, Tim, what team do you wear your colors with? What team on Sunday, especially not coaching now? Are you rooting for? Are you a Steeler fan? Are you a, a Packer fan? Are you a Falcons fan? Which team are you wearing or rooting for? Uh, wow, that's, that's hard. No, I, I you know, I, uh, my brother is with the Chiefs. Oh, geez, so okay. There you go. Blood, blood is really, you know, thicker than, thicker than water. Now that the Chiefs are out, let me see. Uh, uh, John yeah. Mitchell, I'm trying to think of the next, uh, the, the guys that are still in it. So you've got Pittsburgh. I don't know anybody in New England. Uh, so it would have to be Pittsburgh. And I remember the 2001 game uh, at home there in the championship game. So, I, yeah, I'm going to go with Pittsburgh. Uh, and then Green Bay, of course, I, I love the Packers. I've played for the Packers. So I've still got a lot of really good friends there. I've got a lot of good friends on that staff. Uh, but they're playing the Falcons, and I work here. So uh, I love Matt and love Julio Jones. It's going to be a tough team. So, um, you know, Dan Dan Quinn and I work together with the uh, Seattle Seahawks. So, yeah. I'm, I'm 
Yeah, I'd I'd love to pull for both, but I love the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay, so and do you think of that's something about special about Pittsburgh, isn't it, Tim? I mean, because you wore, you went to the University of Pittsburgh, oh. so that you were probably thinking about the Steelers when you were there, even as a Pitt football mm-hmm. player, right? That something no about doubt. Pitt, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he didn't have a choice. It was they, they, they were that good. They were that they, 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 uh, yeah, they were that good. And uh, some of some of their goodness spilled over to us. You know, some of the guys used to actually come over to Pitt and work out, and uh, that was always a thrill to see professional athletes kind of strolling through the you know the the facility every now and again. All right. Well, so we're getting to the final question, Tim. Go ahead, Rico, with your survey question. Go ahead. Well, you know, our show is called Just Two Choices, Tim, as you know, and you've shared a lot of great insights into the choices that you've made and um, lots of questions that have come up. It would be exciting questions to ask about choice if we had more time. Um, but, you know, basically life boils down to uh, just two choices. Every moment you're either going to make a choice that's going to take you closer, whatever it is you want for your dream or your goal, or you're going to make a choice that perhaps take you, takes you further away from that. I mean, you know, every moment you have that opportunity to make that choice and to, you know, to that new and better choice or perhaps go fall back into that same old choice. So uh, there's no right or wrong answer to this. It's a percentage question. You know, um, what percentage of life do you feel is choice? And what percentage of life do you feel is circumstance? We've had 80-20, 100% choice. We've had, you know, 60-40. Um, when you look at life as a philosophy, how much of it do you think is choice and how much do you think is circumstance? Oh, my goodness. That's a good one. Well, I think like Coach Cower always said, you, you, you make your choices and then you, you, yeah. you, you live by them. You know, what I think choose a lot of your life, you, your circumstances don't hold you back necessarily. I grew up very poor, not very poor, but poor enough where we didn't live in a real big fancy house and didn't drive real fancy cars mm-hmm. and all that. But today, my brother and I are, are enjoying the spoils of, you know, professional football <laughs> through hard work yeah. and education and commitment and all of yeah. that. My family. My my mm-hmm. my my cousin Lewis Riddick is on ESPN. You see oh, him all the yeah, time. Yes, yes. And uh, he also went mm-hmm. to school at Pitt and also played in the NFL. There were four of us out of the mm-hmm. fifteen to twenty, you know, male uh, uh, grandchildren that grew up on the same piece of property in southeastern PA that ended up playing in uh, the NFL and having a substantial wow. role in the NFL for some time. I think we made a decision that where we grew up and how we grew up was not going to hold us back. And we weren't going to use any, anything, you know, any excuse to keep from getting to where we wanted to get. And uh, I think it's a tribute to our, our family, our upbringing. Uh, It took a village to raise all of us. And uh, I think, I think the the family deserves a lot of credit for for where we got. So what percents choice do you think? uh, say it's a hundred percent choice. You say it's all true. I would say at least 95%. I, I think yeah. that you can overcome a lot of stuff in life if you just make up your mind that that's right. what you want to do. I would say 95% choice. Well, Tim, that's fantastic. Wow. I can't believe we have about 20 seconds. Uh, thanks again for coming on the show. I always tell pit players, hail the pit. That's the big thing. Yeah, hail the pit. and <laughs> that's the Yeah, hail the pit, and let's see what we can do next year. Thanks for calling. Best of luck, and uh, enjoy these playoffs. Some teams to, to, to kind of not cheer for or cheer for. Take care. See you later. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> 
Hi, everyone, and welcome to Total Celebrity Show. You can check me out on Twitter, at TotalTutor, and also NeilHaley.com, and I'm excited to welcome the program, Boris Kojo of CBS's TV's Code Black. Boris, thanks for calling. How are you? Good morning, Neil. How are you? Happy New Year again. We just talked about it. Yeah, we talked about Happy New Year. And, and Boris, isn't that true? Every year we have our goals, aspirations that we're going to conquer the world, aren't we? You know what? I think I think that people sort of they put too much on their plate in the beginning of the year, and it creates pressure. And uh, I, I've decided not to do that anymore. So what I like to call those resolutions now are my 2017 intentions. And... Uh, you know, baby steps is what I'm saying. You know, I want to. One of the first things that I want to try to do is be more present in my family's and my friends' lives, um, because we all move around at the light, the, the speed of light, and sometimes we forget to appreciate and cherish the moments and 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 look around and smell the roses, however you want to call it. And I'm going to try to do that this year. And that's great because, again, in your business, as my business as an entrepreneur, we constantly get caught up in just things that the average everyday worker doesn't get caught up on. And we forget we forget at times and we get so caught up in ourselves that we have to have that time during the holidays to kind of reflect and say, we really got to spend more time and we got to make it a point to do it. Absolutely. Because, you know, that's where we draw inspiration from. That's where we draw our strength and our power from uh, from our loved ones. And when we do that, it has a, an amazing impact on everything else we do. So everything else sort of falls into play. For me, you're talking about entrepreneurship. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure uh, exactly specifically what you're into, but I know for sure that when you are at your best mentally, physically, and spiritually, uh, those those objectives and those goals that you have in those business areas work much better than, than if you're stressed out. And I hear that most entrepreneurs at times are. And no, I'm in this growth phase, Boris, and uh, a lot of exciting things. And it just it, and it's always a, a change. But you have to. And I always talk to my wife about we need to have flow. We need to have positivity because it's so important when you work for yourself that you do that. And when you audition, Boris, you can't go in like you're ticked off because of what happened in family life 20 minutes before. You have to kind of put on that new face, and sometimes people can see it, right? Like, oh, man, he doesn't want to hear Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, so let's talk yeah, about your character in Code Black. Uh, tell us about it. Again, I think it's a great show for sure because of the ER, a place that me and you never want to go to, yeah. right, Boris? Right? And I've, I had a serious ER Pretty incident. Much. It's not a fun thing. I got almost my toe lacerated mm-hmm. off, and I was at, and went to an ER. It's, so that's what this show kind of brings to the table is what happens when the most biggest emergencies happen and how the medical staff handles it, right? Well, you know, it's called code black and code black means when the, the incoming emergencies outweigh the resources, it pretty much um, uh, uh, puts it on the nose. And, and on average in this country, hospitals have five code blacks a year. Oh my gosh. Uh, our show is based on, yeah, our show is based on Los Angeles County, which is the busiest hospital of, of, the, of the country. And we have over 300 cold blacks a year. So every single day, there's mayhem, there's craziness, there's stress level 5,000. And I play Dr. Campbell, who is the head of surgery and the head of the ER. So I'm the boss of all bosses. I, I boss everybody around. I'm the guy who wants everybody to be efficient and to be you know, saving, saving lives and be maximizing their own potential. 
so I can be a hard uh, citizen to deal with. Um, and then Marsha Gay Harden uh, plays my the yin to my yang. She plays the, the moral fiber of the show. She's my counterpart who sort of uh, uh, heads the, 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 the residents in the ER. And there's never uh, a moment to really breathe in the show. And that's what makes it <laughs> yeah. so great for me. The writing is exceptional. And we have, you know, all of our extras are real ER nurses and medical staff. So they really? know what they're doing. Oh. And, um, yeah, and the pacing is crazy. I think it's the best show since, since ER in terms of medical shows. Wow. And, and I think when you talk about the, the code black where this is it, every, the, the, when this happens, all hands are on deck, right? That's pretty much what happens when a code block happens, right, Boris? Absolutely. All hands have to be on deck because we have to deal with all the craziness that comes to the door. Um, so these, all these, all these cases are just uh, extraordinarily difficult to deal with. Uh, um, in this episode, we have a helicopter crash that causes mayhem. Um, so in, in this year has been incredible because all the cases that we've dealt with have been um, sort of rooted in, in, in situations that have been seen in the news in the last year. So all this stuff that's going down is really authentic and, and it's addressed in a way that is, uh, we, we, don't, we don't beat around the bush. You know, we go right to it. You see everything. We do boot camps, actually, as actors, where we have to learn how to perform these surgeries. Uh, so when we're on camera, we, we look like we know what we're doing. And that's what makes it so much fun, you know. Um, I got a little personal story. My my dad was a doctor. Oh, when wow. I first got the show, he, he gave me two pieces of advice. He said, look, your heart rate should never be over 50, which means you are the pilot of the plane. Uh, you always have to be under control. Uh, you can never be stressed. And number two is anytime you enter a room, you have to be the answer. Um, and I sort of remembered those things when he passed, unfortunately, six months ago. Oh, I'm sorry uh, to hear that. But I've still found a way to 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 honor him when I go to work, and, and you know I'm I'm playing Dr. Campbell, but I'm really also playing Dr. Koja, <laughs> which is kind of fun to sort of yeah. keep his memory alive when I go to work. So, Boris, did you ever want to be a doctor growing up? Yeah, actually, I was in pre-med. Um, you know, both my parents are, so I naturally gravitated towards the field, and I and I was a pre-med. But then my father, believe it or not. Uh, uh, dissuaded me from doing it. He said, look, when you're a doctor, you, you're dedicating your life to public service, which is a great thing. But he knew me. He knows I have so many different interests. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I love to travel. I, 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 I produce documentaries. I do so many different things. Mm -hmm. and, and he knew that those dreams could never come to pass if I was to dedicate myself to being a doctor. So he talked me out of it. Wow. Okay. Uh, interesting. Because you're right. Until yeah. so, so you retire, pretty much, yeah. you can't do those things. And your creativity and the things that drive you every day. And, and when we talk about entrepreneurship, we talked about this at the beginning. It's, it's, we're a different animal. We're a different animal, Boris. We have this idea when we wake up, oh, we, yeah. we have a th 50 different projects in our head we want to try to accomplish. And then it's just Oh, my gosh. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I have behind me, I'm sitting in my office, I have a huge, I have a, I have a huge visual visual board behind me. Oh, and wow. all of my projects are, are splattered across the wall. And every time I walk in here, I get this, this search of, of energy. And, and I, you know, like I said, every day you want to advance one of your projects one or two steps. And uh, if, 
you're a doctor, there's no way you can you can engage in all these different things. It's the all hands on deck thing where you're just your job is service and that that's the primary focus and people are rewarded with decent pay. And but ultimately they do sacrifice a lot of other things in their lives as doctors. And that's what it shows in the show. The stress, right, Boris, when you go through a code black, it really changes the entire people on deck, the feeling, the tragedies that happen, and the difficulties, they, they really weigh on a lot of the staff, does, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it's sort of life culminates at Code Black. It, it culminates in the ER, in the OR, when 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 lives are, you know, ended and, and lives are, are, are saved and Tragedies occur and families come together and, and families are ripped apart and and those moments are are they have to be managed um, and we have to manage them. Uh, sometimes we have to remove ourselves, you know, emotionally to be able to handle those moments and and you can see all of that on the screen, you know, because we all regular people and and sometimes we break down and. And, and and you can see that as well, and and that's what makes Cold Black so special because no pull, no punches are pulled. You know, it's all right to the gut, and it's uh, real and it's authentic. And Michael Seisman has done has done an incredible job to make sure the writing is incredible. And um, it, I'm really really uh, blessed to be a part of it. It's, it's an amazing show. All right, best place we can find information on you. Everyone needs to tune in on January 4th as Code Black. Uh, comes back, and the best place we can find information on you, Boris, where can we go? I go to Instagram or Twitter, uh, at Boris Kojo, and um, we have a website for our foundation, the Sophie's Voice um, Foundation, sophiesvoice.net, to find out about all of our outreach programs and and, um, and uh, our advocacy for fortification uh, in terms of folic acid and and spina bifida, um, go to full, uh, go to sophiesvoice.net. All right. Well, Boris, thanks for calling. Appreciate it. And uh, best of luck in the season. And great to chat with an entrepreneur and understand, And you understand my feeling. And uh, great resolutions. Absolutely. Let's see if we can live those resolutions this year, Boris, okay? That's right. Good luck. All right. All right take, take care. All right. See you, Bob. You listen to Total Celebrity Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. 